0: When you have great coaches, then after you have great coaches, you get great players. You have a great organization, and you tell them one thing. Just win, David.
1: You are listening to Just Pod, baby. A Las Vegas Raiders podcast brought to you by silverandblacktoday.com. And now your host,
2: Evan Grote. And let's go, Raider Nation. And welcome back to Just Pod, baby, for the Week 2 Recap Episode 2-0, baby. Impressive victory for the Raiders as they christen the new Allegiant Stadium on Monday Night Football 34-24 over the New Orleans Saints. We are brought to you by Silver and Black Today, Las Vegas' only independent Raiders news source in the heart of the nation, Las Vegas. There is so much to get into this week. We do have a guest for you later in the show. We will be joined by Raiders beat writer Sean Reed of The Athletic. He's going to hop on the line with us and give us some of his thoughts from the win on Monday night. As always, I am your host, Evan Grote, and I will now bring in my co host, Mr. Avocado Smoothie himself, featured NFL columnist at Bleacher Report, our senior columnist at Silver and Black Today, and he also contributes at Just Blog Baby. Coming at you from Brooklyn, New York, Mo, Mo, and Mo. I know we both agree we felt just okay after the win over the Panthers last week. This one feels a little different. Tell us, how are you feeling after the win on Monday night?
1: The avocado smoothies taste a little better. The sheets feel a little better when you go to bed. (laughs) The air smells fresher after a win. All all of that stuff feels a lot better after a win. So you got to feel good about this. I know the Saints didn't have Michael Thomas, but people still looked at this team as a playoff caliber squad. So when you get a win of this nature, given the mistakes that were made early in the game, the fumble late by Jalen Rashard, you have to like the Raiders winning this one against the Saints and building some momentum going into New England next week.
2: Absolutely, you're right about that. Everything does feel a little bit better. I slept slept a little bit better. I had a little pep in my step today at work. So, absolutely. But uh, you know, there's still some areas that you, you you'd like to see some improvements. Uh, the injuries to the offensive line are starting to concern me a bit, but at the end of the day, the Raiders are 2-0. They're off to a good start. Things aren't going to get any easier in week three on a short week. The Raiders are going to be traveling across country to take on the Patriots. Cam looks good. We're going to get to the little bit uh, of that in, in, in a bit. But before we do that, it's time to give the people what they want, Mo. It's time for our week two recap and highlights. You ready?
1: I'm ready. All right, let's
2: go. The Raiders would win the toss and opted to defer to the second half, which turned out to be a good move by Gruden Moore on that in just a little bit. The Saints took their opening drive of the game and marched on the field 62 yards. It was a mix of Alvin Kamara, Taysom Hill, and Latavius Murray each carrying the ball in the drive for the Saints. The Raiders' defense would bend but not break. The Saints' drive stalled out on the Raiders' 13-yard line and would have to settle for a, a, a Will Lutz 31-yard field goal to take an early 3-0 lead. Derek Carr took a 13-yard sack on the Raiders' opening possession of the game on second and ten. The Raiders would punt the ball away two plays later. Mo Carr was sacked three times in the game. All three came on within the first two drives of the game for the Raiders. One of the knocks has been uh, on Carr has been his his pocket awareness and his his unwillingness to to tuck the ball and extend plays with his legs when pressured. Talk to us about what you saw on those sacks.
1: Yeah, that first quarter was pretty much a disaster. I know a lot of Raiders fans was like, see, this is the car that we all saw. Tap dancing in the pocket, skittish, happy feet, all that stuff. All the bad stuff you can think of for a quarterback who's kind of shy in the pocket. And we saw that in that first quarter. Again, the first sack, you got to credit Dennis Allen sending Malcolm Jenkins on, on a safety blitz off the edge. Miller tried to push Jenkins out of the way but Carr spun into the sack so his awareness was lacking on that one the second sack he had Darren Waller open Darren Waller took the inside track on Janoris Jenkins if Carr had lets that ball go when it's supposed to Darren Waller probably gets an early touchdown so that's on Carr uh, the third sack was basically a coverage sack I think Louis Riddick pointed that out during the broadcast the Saints pretty much had good coverage on the back end so Carr had nowhere to go with the ball and he took the hit
2: Leading 3 to nothing, the Saints would once again take over on their own 22-yard line. The poor play of the defense continued on this drive. Elvin Kamara carried the ball to the right for 13 yards, to the left for 21 yards, and on 3rd and 8, Drew Brees frowned Traquan Smith for a gain of 29 yards down to the Raiders' 4-yard line, setting up... Uh, and Kamara, three plays later, scoring on a touchdown to put the Saints up 10 to nothing. The Raiders were plagued by missed tackles on the drive, and early on, it looked like this one could get ugly real fast. Mo, tell us about the struggles for the defense early in the game.
1: Yeah, definitely. This is what you don't want to see from the Raiders. It's kind of a continuation of last week on this play with the missed tackle on Traquan Smith. Eric Harris whiffed. He went high on the tackle. You don't want to go that high because a guy with some upper body strength can just kind of flip you off. And that's what happened. 15-yard gain turns into a 29-yard gain and puts the Saints in business. Now, also with the Kamara touchdown and just the defensive line, the Raiders defensive line in general, you're not seeing defenders getting off blocks. I say this, I sound like a broken record. But again, where is the Rod Marinelli effect? We're just not seeing it. Guys are not getting a push at the line of scrimmage at the point of attack. Just a quick note, Cleveland Farrell and Malik Collins combined for zero sacks last night. That's ugly. You don't want to see that those guys have to be active.
2: Defensive line definitely needs to play better, no doubt about it trailing 10 to nothing early. The offense for the Raiders once again was forced to punt after only five plays. As we discussed just a minute ago, Carr was sacked on back-to-back plays during that drive. Not the start Raiders fans were hoping for. Late in the first quarter, though, the Saints would take over with just one minute on the clock, and this is where things really start to turn around for the Raiders. The defense forced a 3 and out of their own and got the ball back to Carr in the offense, and they would go down on a much-needed 11-play, 62-yard scoring drive. Darren Waller was a big part that drive catching three passes for 35 yards, but it was fullback elk Ingold who was on the receiving end of the first ever touchdown at Allegiant Stadium. It was a great play designed by Gruden. Mo, talk us through what you saw on the hookup from Carter to Ingold.
1: Yeah, definitely. Car kind of orchestrated this one with Waller. Waller went in motion, went to Car's left side, then sprinted back right which cleared that right side. Genoa Shinkis follows World to the corner of the end zone, which allows Alec Engle to creep out of the backfield and get the easy touchdown. This is what you want to see in a John Green offense, the fullback getting involved. And uh, a lot of people didn't have Alec Ingle getting the first touchdown in Allegiant Stadium, but he did. Most people would say Josh Jacobs, but Ingle gets in the end zone early for the Raiders.
2: Now with just over eight minutes to go in the first half, the Saints' offense wasn't finished. Once again, moving the ball right down the field with little resistance from the Raiders' defense. Drew Brees connected on gains of 16 to Elvin Kamara. Latavius Murray for 10 more yards, 25 yards to Traquan Smith, and 17 yards to Adam Troutman. On third and goal from the Raiders' six. Brees found a former Raider, Jared Cook on a slant for a touchdown. Breeze was 5 of 6 passing with 74 yards on the drive. Mo Trayvon Mullen was in coverage on that touchdown. Tell us what Jared Cook was able to do to get himself open on that play.
1: Yeah, Jared Cook just used his body frame on Trayvon Mullen. Trayvon Mullen tried to break up that pass, but Jared Cook's body frame, he's about 6'6", 240, 250, and he just shields, shields the ball from in front of Trayvon Mullen. Of course, Drew Brees puts the ball out in front of Jared Cook, so he's able to use his body to shield Trayvon Mullen and score that touchdown. He didn't catch it with his hands, caught it with his body, but again, because he's so big compared to Trayvon Mullen, he's able to cover that up, score the touchdown.
2: Now, looking to respond, Derek Carr would do just that, leading his offense on a quick 10-play scoring drive, needing just 3 minutes and 38 seconds to cut the Saints' lead to 3 points. This drive was really indicative of the game as a whole for Carr. He connected with four different receivers, capped off by a, a touchdown by your guy, Mo Zay Jones. Third down conversions were also a key on this scoring drive. Three times they were able to convert. It's an area that they were very good throughout the game. Am I right, Mo?
1: Absolutely. And I think that's part of the reason. Part of that reason is because Carr is comfortable in that offense. Again, third year under John Gruden. He has multiple weapons he can go to. Of course, he can go to his bread and Butter, which is Darren Waller through the Air. He can hand off to Josh Jacobs. Those are your two game breakers, your two go-to guys. But as you just mentioned, Zay Jones getting a catch, his first touchdown as a Raider. Nelson Aguilar had a catch. Foster Moreau had a catch yesterday. So, they can, all, they can all fill in, and a, a lot of people worried about oh, Terrell Williams goes down before the season starts. What are they gonna do about their starting receiver? And as I've said on plenty of shows, I've said this on Silver and Black today with Scott and Q, they don't need one guy to step up. They can do it by committee, and that's what you saw on that drive and in this game.
2: On the Saints' ensuing possession, Drew Brees found a wide-open Nicholas Morrow over the middle. That's right, he threw the ball right into the hands of Nicholas Morrow. For the Raiders, it was their first interception of the season with just 45 seconds left before halftime. The Raiders had a chance to tack on some more points, and they would do just that with a Daniel Carlson 28-yard field goal. Mo, going into the half after a very slow start by the defense tied at 17, you have to be feeling pretty good, right?
1: You had to be, because I tweeted this during the game. It felt like the Raiders were down <laughs> going into the half, considering how the first quarter went. But their offense kept them in the game, scoring 17 points in the second quarter. And, of course, that Drew Brees uncharacteristic miscue by him, throwing that, touch, that throwing that interception to Nicholas Morrow, former Greenville College safety. Uh, he took De- Deontay Harris over the top, over the middle, Didn't see Morrow. Morrow fixed it off. So that's what, in my opinion, that's one of the momentum in the Raiders' favor to help them going into halftime.
2: The Raiders would receive the second half kickoff. And this is where I said it was a smart move by Gruden to defer with the opportunity now to double dip on the scoreboard, getting the field goal before before halftime. It'd be nice here to... to, uh up with a touchdown. Saints cornerback Marcus Lattimore was called for a crucial defensive pass interference on 3rd and six after an incomplete pass to Brian Edwards. The call resulted in a 20-yard gain and an automatic first down for the Raiders. Two plays later, Foster Moreau got his first catch of the year, 31 yards, catch and run. Moreau rumbled down to the Saints' seven-yard line. The Raiders would get to the Saints' one-yard line a couple plays later. Faced with a fourth down and a chance to really change the course of the game. Gruden opted to be aggressive and go for it, and it paid off. Carr found his go-to man on the night, Darren Waller, off a beautiful play action for the go-ahead score. Mo, some people criticized Gruden last week for being a little bit too conservative in the second half of the game. What did you think about the move to go for it on fourth and goal from the one?
1: First of all, though, it was the right move. Carr is dealing at this point. The offense is rolling. You're hot. Take the chance. You're at the one. And I mean, if you don't if you don't score it, then the Saints get the ball one. I know the defense hasn't played well, but trust your quarterback. Car again, Carr had been playing well at that point. The offense had been rolling. I want to connect this to four years ago when... Jack Del Rio went for a two-point conversion at the Superdome against the Saints. To me, these two plays, these two decisions by the coaches are parallel because it shows the utmost confidence in the offense. Of course, different circumstances, but I feel like Drew's decision to go with his offense, keep his offense on the field instead of going for the three points, show his players, look, I believe in you, I have faith in you, you can score these points, and I think the players take into that, and it builds their confidence, and of course Carr executed with Darren Waller and it paid off.
2: Absolutely. The defense would find its stride in the second half forcing two consecutive punts. The defensive line looked to be playing a little bit more urgency getting a little bit more pressure on Breeze still not enough. Early in the fourth quarter the Raiders would look to blow this game wide open. Already up seven once again Derek Carr engineered an 89 yard drive benefited by a personal foul on Cam Jordan uh, with a 15 yard horse collar followed by a 17 yard reception on third uh, by third in Renfro and yes the catch was of course on third down and four plays later facing another crucial third and ten from the Saints 20 yard line uh... Jalen Rashard had an opportunity to redeem himself after coughing it up early in the game. He found some room along the right sideline and scampered 20 yards for the touchdown to put the Raiders up 31-17 with 7.48 to play. Mo, many times we see backs who fumble. They get sent to the doghouse for the remainder of the game. What does it say about Gruden's confidence in Rashard going right back to him in that scenario?
1: Yeah, it goes back to my point about his faith in his offense. Rashard has three touches on the season two rushes and a catch and he had two rushes last night against the saints and of course as you mentioned he coughed it up but gruden sticks with him and and for the right and Jalen richard comes out scores a touchdown kind of puts the game away for the raiders not quite but puts them in a commanding lead so again it shows it shows the players like look you can make a mistake but you you have a chance to redeem yourself in Gruden's system he'll he'll give you the ball again give you another shot and if you deliver he'll keep you on the field
2: With just under eight minutes left to play and a two-touchdown lead, Paul Gunther would go to a soft prevent. Defense looking to keep everything in front And help drain some time off that clock That allowed the Saints to quickly add another score To cut the lead to 31-24 Now, needing to milk four minutes Off the clock, it would be up to the offense To close this one out After three consecutive runs by Josh Jacobs Once again, the Raiders would face With another 3rd and 5 And once again, they were bailed out by a Saints penalty Carr took a deep shot To Henry Ruggs And it was Janoris Jenkins who was called for the P.I. The play resulted in a 29 29- yard gain moving the Raiders into Saints territory which led to uh, a second Daniel Carlson field goal icing the game with a bomb of a kick it was a 54 yard field goal to put the nail in the coffin for the Saints 34-24 the Raiders win in prime time the Raiders are now 2-0 OMO. it was a great win I just want to get your thoughts on the performance by Derek Carr
1: well he said he felt disrespected before the season started I think he gained a little respect back on the national stage everyone got to see him Everyone got to see his game. Everyone got to see him at his best. One of his best games as a Raider. I can say that because I've watched all his years since 2014. This is this is peak Derek Carr right here. Dealing the ball to 11 different receivers. Efficient on third down. Getting the ball to his playmakers. And again, just getting everyone involved. Elevating the, the players around him. This is what you want to see out of your quarterback. Now really quick, in the post game, he mentioned something personal. And this goes back to my point we made on a few podcasts ago about him hearing hearing the critiques and the criticism of his game and just the outside chatter. He said when he got to Vegas, he picked up the paper and he saw Tom Brady on the cover. Now, can you imagine you are the starting quarterback for the Raiders going to a new city and everyone's talking about Tom Brady, someone else who, who could be on the move during free agency. I think that lit a fire under him. And again, I said, if he's using the outside noise to fuel him to play better, all power to him. But to say that he's not hearing the noise... Is a farce. And, and I, I, again, I'm glad that he's using that noise to fuel a, a good game and a great performance on the national stage. But you have to admit that he, he hears it. And and for now, for the first two games we have the first two weeks, it's a good thing because he's using that again as motivation to play well. And that's what he did on Monday night. Again, he's gained the respect. There's a long way to go. It's a long season. We have 14 games left, but he's definitely on the right track.
2: You're exactly right about that. He, he he did hear all that chatter in the offseason, and he t- he talked a lot of, uh, not junk, but he, he he was doing a lot of talking himself. And, and But you know what? He's walking the walk as well, so um, I agree with you there. This is the type of performance that I've been wanting to see from Carr. Um, and, and to me, it seems that he's just playing with a lot more confidence. Um, out there and I think that's obviously because he is in the third year of the system so he is more confident in what he's doing and where the ball should be going and all those types of things but um, you know he put the team on his shoulders last night he, he said we are not going to lose this game his accuracy was on point that is one of the things that really stood out to me he was locked in on third downs uh, completed nine of ten passes for 93 yards and a touchdown and Mo we talked about this uh, last week as well he's doing it by spreading the ball all around yes Darren Waller had a big night 12 catches going over 100 yards, but 11 different players caught passes on Monday night.
1: Yeah, definitely. And like I said, um, one week it could be Zay Jones. The next week it'd be, it could be Nelson Aguilar. And it kind of was. Uh, first week against the Panthers, he throws a, a Derek Dime to Nelson Aguilar. This week he gets Zay Jones on the corner on a critical touchdown. So, again, just getting different guys involved so the defense can't key on Two, one or two plays. I know Waller exploded, but they couldn't. The Saints couldn't stop Waller. They just didn't have an answer for him. So Carr was able to just go to him repeatedly. I believe he had 16 targets, turned into 12 catches for over 100 yards and a TD. So he was able to go to Waller. But behind Waller, you can go to Renfro, Brian Edwards. It was good to see him involved. I know Henry Ruggs is banged up with a knee injury, but he used his speed late in the game, as you said, to draw a penalty from Jamar Jenkins. So that was a plus. But he's the, again, he's he's the he's the blackjack dealer in Vegas. He's getting everyone involved. And he's, he's out there. He's on fire right now. He has the hot hand. So you like that confidence he's playing with, as you mentioned, and hopefully it continues throughout most of the season.
2: Now, Mo, before we get to our first break, there are just a couple other topics that I want to I wanna get to while I got you here. First, let's talk about the elephant in the room, and that's that's this defense. Uh, they've invested a lot of money, a lot of draft capital on that side of the ball. But let's be honest, this defense has not played well uh, beyond a few good possessions. Uh, in each game uh, the pass rush it's non-existent receivers are running wide open in the middle of the field missed tackles were an issue how concerned are you right now about this defense
1: I'm very concerned considering Cam Newton did throw the ball well on Sunday night against the Seattle Seahawks of course you got the Chiefs within the division uh the Falcons later in the season who who had a boneheaded play but their passing offense is pretty good when you play quarterbacks upper you know mid tier upper upper-tier, top-notch quarterbacks, that defense has to come up with some stops. Now, you saw that in the second half of the Saints game. But, again, you mentioned that the pass, the, the pass rush is just not there. Cleveland Farrell, he's got to show up. If, if that pass rush is going to get better, he has to show up there. You can't, you can't just say, well, he had a good game against the run. You don't draft a guy fourth overall to stop the run. He has to pressure the quarterback. And so far, he has not done that. I believe he has one quarterback hit for the entire season. Carl Nassib and and, um, Mo Hurst both share a half sack. No one on that Raiders defense has a full sack yet. That's embarrassing through two weeks. The Raiders have to figure out something. Rod Marinelli, Paul Gunther have to put their heads together and figure out something. Maybe you blitz more. Maybe you send John Abram on some safety blitzes occasionally when you can. Maybe you you give more snaps. He's been close, but again, he hasn't made a a major impact either. So they had to figure out something, a good combination to... To uh, ignite that pass rush or else they're going to be in trouble and it could start this Sunday against the Patriots if they're not careful. But again, it has to start with Cleveland Farrell, Max Crosby. Where's Malik Collins? He was supposed to be a key to the defense. There's a lot of coaches talked him up this offseason. He hasn't been a factor. He has one tackle in two games. That's unacceptable.
2: You're, you're 100% right. Again, one of the big storylines this offseason was not only the addition of, of Malik Collins, uh, Carl Nassau, you know, the, the the added bulk and weight to, to uh, Cleveland Farrell, but also the addition uh, of the new uh, defensive line coach. And we're just not seeing anything uh, coming from that group. So it is very disappointing. And as you mentioned, the road does not get any easier. They're going to be facing some really good quarterbacks here in the coming weeks. They need to get their... Get that uh, pass rush figured out very quick. They cannot ask this offense to score thirty points every week. That's just not a recipe that uh, you know you can sustain for a, a long period of time. And, and and finally, one of the other keys to this game. Uh, for the Raiders was the dominance of the time of possession. The Raiders possessed the ball for 36 minutes and 18 seconds to uh, 23 minutes and 42 seconds uh, for the Saints. Gruden talked about it in his post-game here. Anytime you're playing the Saints, you want to keep Drew Brees over on that sideline. Uh, Gruden stayed committed to the run, although it was tough sledding for Josh Jacobs, but it was the volume that was the key. 27 carries for Jacobs, and he did pop off a couple 12 and 13-yard and key runs late in the game to help ice
1: it yeah definitely you were a little worried about because i think he had to come out of the game he got stretched out in the sideline jacobs i'm talking about but he came back and he finished the game so that's a relief also want to highlight john simpson he came in for a richie incognito and played pretty well but you don't have when you don't talk about an offensive lineman throughout the entire game that's a good sign it means he's doing his job means he's not a liability on that offensive line so props to tom cable for coaching these guys up being able to put these guys in in the middle of the game and they flourish so it's a good sign for that offensive line
2: yeah, definitely. All right, Mo, good job of there in that first segment. We're going to get to our first break, and when we return, uh, you and I will talk about stock up and stock down from the uh, f- week two, and as well as give you our game balls. Don't go anywhere. Hey, everyone. It's me, Evan Grote, host of Just Pod Baby. Fantasy football season is finally upon us, and due to quarantine, it's very possible that you might have Zeke's haircut in your pants. That's why our partners at Manscaped have partnered with us to make sure you don't gamble on shaving your balls the same way you like to gamble on football. When it comes to men's hygiene, Manscaped is as good and safe as Christian McCaffrey in a PPR league. The Lawnmower 3.0 is the best hygiene tool for the modern man. Because of the ceramic blade and skin safe technology, your nicks and snags will be reduced. This is the perfect protection needed for your franchise quarterback. The lawnmower 3.0 is also waterproof and has an LED light on it. That's a game changer. They just released their Shears 2.0 nail kit, which is the perfect add-on to their lawnmower 3.0 trimmer. No one likes an ungroomed set of feet, fingers, and most importantly, balls. That's why they have forever changed the grooming game with their Perfect Package 3.0. Their Perfect Package 3.0 comes with a new and improved lawnmower, performance boxer briefs, and a travel bag for you to use when you're done quarantining, and some other liquid formulations like the Crop Preserver and the Crop Reviver. The Crop Preserver is an anti-chafing, ball deodorant, which ensures that your afternoon stroll doesn't end with your ball sticking to your leg or smelling like eggs. The Crop Reviver is a spray-on toner for your balls. It's made with soothing aloe and witch hazel extracts that will give your testes a boost. For a limited time, subscribers get not one, but two free gifts. The Shed Travel Bag and the Patent High Performance Anti-Chafing Manscaped Boxer Briefs. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code podbaby at manscaped.com. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code podbaby at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the promo code podbaby. It's time to give your testes an absolute besties with Manscaped. We are back on Just Pod Baby with your hosts, Evan Grote and Mo Moten. We are here talking about the Raiders' 34-24 win on Monday Night Football. There were many standout performances, but we also saw some guys that are continuing to struggle. So that's where we're going to begin uh, in this next segment, Mo. We're going to change it up this week. We talked about the good, the bad, and the okay. Now we're going to talk about the stock report. Who's stock is up and who's stock is down following the Week 2 win. I asked you to come up with uh, one pick for each of those categories, Mo. Let's start with your stock down. Um, whose stock is slipping in your mind?
1: Uh, not that his stock is slipping, but his stock hasn't ju- hasn't jumped off the ground at all. And we, I just mentioned him, Clear Farrell. Again, the Raiders draft him fourth overall. This is a guy, and people said if the pass rush is going to make improvements, a, a jump this year has to start with him. I know a lot of people are expecting something from Max Crow's, I mean I think he comes on at some point. But Cleveland Farrell can't just be a run defender on, on the strong side. He has to pressure the pocket because if he doesn't, if he if he has a step back this year or if he's pretty much plateaued, that is not a good sign and is not a good look for Mayock's top pick in, in the 2019 draft. You mentioned that he he bulked up during the offseason. He also worked on his hip movement. A lot of people uh were skeptical of him drafting him early because he was looked at as a kind of a not as a stiff, but not as bendy not as flexible off the edge so he worked on the hip movement but again you're, you're just not seeing it translate to the field and two weeks into the season you don't want to call him a bust or anything i i i, I hate using that term prematurely he's not a bust but he's got to pick it up and he's got to pick it up soon cam again as i mentioned cam newton coming in he threw for over 300 yards against the Seattle seahawks last week you got to put pressure on him especially he's a mobile quarterback got to put some hits on him as well so i, I just want to see cleveland farrell Make an impact. He doesn't have to have three, four sacks, but make an impact because thus far he's been a non-factor.
2: Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's a fair one there. I, I'm going to go with, uh, staying on the defensive side of the ball, I'm going to go with Eric Harris. You know, uh, I, I think back to when the team released uh, Demarius Randall, who who some thought was a surprise. Uh, and, and, and one of the reasons Gruden stated for that move being made was about what Eric Harris did to earn that job. And I've got to be honest, he looks shaky back there to me. He's missed some some big tackles in the first two weeks. Last week, he totally whiffed on Robbie Anderson, which led him uh, to to that 75-yard touchdown run. And or reception, I should say, and this week he missed another big tackle on 3rd and 8, and it came in the first quarter of the game, but but still it was a big play, and and he allowed Traquan Smith to pick up twenty yard, 29 yards, which set up that first Saints touchdown of the game. He's showing up on film for the wrong reasons, in my opinion. I hope he can get it turned around. He was voted a team captain this year. It's early in the season, but I need to see a little bit more uh, from Harris. So, really. The- yeah, really go ahead.
1: quick, I'm sorry to cut you off, but I hate to be that guy, but you just mentioned it. He had a big whiff last week that led to a 75-yard touchdown reception. He whiffed on that tackle going high on Trey Quan Smith. I hate to be that guy, again, I hate to, hate to be that guy, but maybe the calls for Earl Thomas, he's still available. Maybe oh those calls... Get oh, a no. Lighter,
2: a louder, Mo, you're going to get him all riled up. You're going to get the Raider <laughs> Nation all riled up now.
1: <laughs> now. Now, I know Earl Thomas isn't the greatest tackler. We saw that against Derrick Henry in the playoffs last season, but I think he can cover up on the back end and play that free safety role along with, along with John Abram playing safety. So, again, I'm just saying, I know he's a team captain, Eric Harris is, but if he keeps whiffing, you're going to have to upgrade that position.
2: Oh boy, I, I you know I I'm I I'm not a huge fan of bringing in Earl Thomas to be honest. I know he's an upgrade as far as a you know on the field standpoint, but I, I'm not going down that locker room headache road again. We we saw we had enough of that with Antonio Brown, and uh, I'm not saying they're exactly the same in that regard. But as far as locker room headaches are concerned, I think the Raiders have had their you know their, their fill for a while. So I, I would not be. Uh, opposed to the Raiders staying far away from, from Earl Thomas. Uh, let's move on to uh, st- players whose stock is up. And there's a couple obvious choices when you when you look at stocks that are on the rise. Where did you decide to go with, with your pick?
1: Uh, this is kind of a low-key stock up. I'm going to go with Brian Edwards. Uh, Henry Ruggs came into the game banged up. As I mentioned, he had a knee injury. Only had one catch for, I believe, four yards. They used him basically as a decoy to just kind of clear space underneath for guys like Waller and Hunter Renfro and all the other receivers that they have there. But Brian Edwards had two big catches, one for, I believe, 20 and one for 22 yards. And again, we mentioned he drew that penalty on Marshawn Lattimore on the outside. There was one play where I believe Clark threw the ball out of bounds near the goal line and i felt like they should have gone to brian edwards one-on-one in the close course because this is what you have him here for right Six three, two hundred twenty 220 something pounds you can get in the close course one-on-one situation he wins those 50 50 balls for contested catches when you get down close to the end zone and you want to throw the ball i think he's the guy you got to pinpoint if you're not going to waller uh but again yeah, he had two catches for over 20 yards and i think this is the start of something good for him especially with henry ruggs ailing with a knee injury, he could possibly step up in the coming weeks. (laughs)
2: <laughs> Mo, you know they say great minds think alike. I actually had the same pick. I had Brian Edwards. I guess we, I guess we should have cu- communicated that before we got on here. But no, that's fine. I, I agree with you for all the reasons you just listed. Uh, I, I think, uh, although you may look at the stat line and say, "Wow, two catches for 42 yards," so you're, you're saying the stock is up. But you know, I, I like what he, uh, he, he. That's going to be a confidence booster for him, and not only for him, but for the quarterback throwing him the ball, because right? we know. Not Gruden, excuse me, Carr has to. uh, I feel like he needs to have great confidence in his receivers in order for him to fully trust them. So I think the more. Edwards gets involved, the more Carr is going to trust him, and I like what Edwards was able to do against some some high end talent out there at cornerback. I mean, he was going up against Marcus uh, Lattermore who's one of the the top cornerbacks in the league, and, and Janoris Jenkins. He's you know he's no pushover as well. So I agree with with, with what you had to say, especially with you know the status of Rugs. He you know is he a hundred percent right now? We really don't know. So I think it's um, we could see maybe a larger role here uh, from Edwards. In the next couple weeks
1: absolutely and i would like to see it because again cars spreading the ball around so if Ruggs is is not 100 for for a couple or a few weeks you want to see get edwards get involved i know he had one screen catch for i believe nine yards in the first week so it's a step up I, as you mentioned you, it doesn't look great on the on the box score two catches for 42 yards but you look at what he was going up against a two-time pro bowler and another pro bowler who takes gambles in Janoris Jenkins and you look at what he can do, I, I think he his stock is up, and I think he'll be trending upward in the coming weeks.
2: Yeah, definitely. Uh, okay, Mo, we, we do need to get to our guest this week, but before we do that, I want to quickly give out our game balls for Week 2. I went first last week, so I'm going to give you the honors tonight. Uh, who, who are you going with for your game ball in Week 2?
1: Well, hopefully I don't steal your thunder this time, but <laughs> I'm going with John Gruden. I'm going to give John Gruden the game ball. I know we usually give this to players, but I think John Gruden deserves this one because – I feel like this is his best win as the Raiders head coach in his second stint. Raiders didn't beat a playoff team last year. They struggled throughout 2018. This is again, this is a team even without Michael Thomas that's considered that's considered a Super Bowl contender. So I think John Gruden winning this game and and how he won it, again believing in his offense, putting the ball in Derek Carr's hands at the goal line, uh, putting the ball on Derek Carlson Daniel Carlson's leg for a 54 yarder when Drew Brees could have drove down the field and kind of knotted up the game and made it tight. John Gruden trusted Carl, trusted Carlson, and they pulled through for him, and they got a signature win, so big game for John Gruden.
2: Yeah, definitely, and I, I agree. I, I, I would go out on the line and say this was probably – Gruden's biggest win since he's he's been back with the Raiders. Definitely his signature win against a very good team on Monday Night Football. So, yeah, I would like your pick there. And I, I tried to think a little bit outside the box as well with my pick. And I also went with a coach uh, rather than a player. My game ball goes to offensive line coach Tom Cable we talked about this before, Mo, and I'm going to put you on the spot here. There were a lot of people out there in the Twitter world who were against the move to bring in Cable. Uh, you admitted you were one of those critics. Um, mm-hmm. I think Cable has been one of the best position coaches on the entire staff over the three-year period, with the exception of maybe the tight end coach. Uh, I think his name's Frank Smith. He's done a very good job with, with his group of guys, too. But when you look at Cable's body of work, Yes, you know, there's talent there. He's working with some very talented guys. Um, But uh, he's had a a plethora of injuries to deal with, and it doesn't matter... uh who it is, he's, he gets these guys ready and prepared to play. Last year they had David Sharp and Brandon Parker, Denzel Good. It doesn't matter who it is. Oh, oh don't forget uh, Andrew uh, James, I believe, the backup center there. Uh, he, he played a couple games for, for Rodney Hudson, so it really doesn't matter who it is. He prepares these guys, and last night was another example of that. Already down Trent Brown and Sam Young, Denzel Good steps in and plays his butt off at right tackle. You lose... In incognito to an Achilles injury, which I'm becoming really concerned about going forward. But the rookie John Simpson gets in there, gets his first taste of NFL action, and he holds his own. So so I credit Tom Cable for the work that he puts in with the O-line, and that's why he gets my game ball.
1: Definitely. Tom Cable, if you're listening out there, the Avocado Smoothie invite is still available for you. It's if still you on the table. Offer, it's still on the table if you want to take it, because again, I, I slanted him. But he's, he's doing great. He's he's coaching up the guy at the backups. Again, as you mentioned, Richie Incognito, Trent Brown going down, two pro bowlers, and the guys are stepping up on that offensive line. So he is definitely not the problem. The offensive line is still the strength of that offense, protecting Derek Carr, giving him time to throw the ball downfield. Tom Cable deserves his props, definitely.
2: Yeah, so those are the winners of uh, a Game Balls for Week 2. Mo, let's go out to the phone lines now, and we're going to bring in our guest to Sean Reed of The Athletic. Deshaun, thanks for joining us tonight. I, I hope you're doing well. We've got a lot to cover with you tonight. Uh, the first thing that I would like to ask you about is just being in these empty stadiums. I know that you've you've been there for both uh, both games. How much of an impact do you think playing without fans is having on these games from a, a motivational standpoint for the players?
0: I think it was probably more of a factor week one, uh, just because none of them have ever had ever experienced it prior. Um, You know, a lot of guys describe it as kind of like a glorified scrimmage almost. Um, You know, I mean, you're going hard, obviously, it's football. If you're not going hard, you're going to get hurt. Um, Just kind of the emotional swings of the game weren't quite the same, but our fans there to to react to it. Um, And the Raiders, you know, I know there are some some stadiums that are a lot of fans, but the Raiders, you know, so far with the Panthers and and playing at home, they haven't experienced any. But I think game two – um it was was kind of more normal for them they kind of gotten over that initial you know kind of strangeness of it i'm sure it was still awkward um particularly with the raiders having that kind of an exciting win not having the crowd go crazy with them um but i mean you see that video of john Green and mike mayock celebrate at the end It it pumped nonetheless so i think they're kind of over it now um It'll probably always be a little bit weird. it be definitely weird covering it, uh, just being dead silent, especially up in the press box. You don't really hear the the fake crowd noise as much, so it's almost like you're you're watching a golf, you know, golf or tennis or something else where you're supposed to be quiet, not you know what you normally expect for football. But I think from a player standpoint, they're, they're probably not used to it by now.
1: Absolutely. So, t- to Sean, just really quick, going into that game, you talked about not having fans there and just the excitement after it. I know players are probably jumping up and down the locker room and excited for that win. But do you get any serious doubt about Henry Ruggs' condition? Even before going into into week two with the Saints, did you get the sense that coaches were worried that he would not play? I was of the thought that he was going to be out there regardless. He toughed it out in week one, the second half, after getting hurt. But I feel like he was going to be out there to at least be a decoy. But did, the coaches, did you have the sense that the coaches were worried that maybe he could sit out?
0: I'm not sure what the coaches were thinking because uh, Gruden has been pretty locked and key with any injuries just related to anyone, but particularly starters. But I never really had a doubt that he would play. I mean, um, it would have been a different story if, you know, week one when he got hurt in the first half against the Panthers, if he hadn't returned for the second half. But the fact that he did come back, even though he obviously didn't you know catch the ball or take a handoff and he, he noticed he looked different. Um, you know, if he was seriously hurt, I don't think they would have risked it, especially with that being the first game of the season. Um, he did miss a couple practices throughout the week, but they was, that appeared to just seem, you know, precautionary. they were just playing it safe. Um, he was back on the practice field before the game. Um, it, it wasn't, you know, they, they were padded, but he was still participating with the team. He didn't have any sort of noticeable limp or he didn't appear anything to be anything wrong with the knee. Um, uh, you know, in the game, he didn't have the best game, but. Um, I don't think he looked limited. He just, you know, he had some opportunities where plays could have been made. But, you know, for one reason or another, whether it was, you know, Carr missing a throw or not seeing him being open down the field, um, he just wasn't able to make the plays. It was more of a game for Brian Edwards. But I don't think moving forward at all, especially with him playing the second game, if there's any concern about righting
2: Tashawn Reed of the Athletic joins us on Just Pod Baby. Tashawn, the offense is really humming right now. Back to back weeks of putting up thirty points. Uh, they're getting it done both on the ground and through the air. In your opinion, why has Derek Carr and the offense been so successful early on this season?
0: Well, I think you know part of it is is, is a little bit of it is, is more of the same, right? You know, kind of the dink and dunk offense that was something that they did successfully last season. They moved the ball pretty well. Just the issue primarily was that when they got the ball down in the red zone, the goal-to-go situations, they weren't able to seal the deal. And this season, uh, I think so far, they only had one red zone attempt where they came up, up empty. Uh, outside of that, they've gotten points every time. And their goal-to-go offense has been really good, especially, you know, against the Saints. You had that, that Alec goal touchdown that got them going, and then uh, Darren Waller, you know, catching that three-yard touchdown later on in the game. I know they almost stumbled it, <laughs> but, you know, they ended up scoring there. Um so I think that's been the biggest difference for the offense. I don't think the offense really had any issue moving the ball last year. They just couldn't finish drives, which is obviously the most important part when it comes to you know, scoring points. Um, I do think the addition of weapons has helped. Um, obviously, they had a setback uh, losing Tyrell Williams, but they still you know, brought in Henry Ruggs and, and Brian Edwards and uh, you know, Nelson Aguilar. We've seen him make, make a few plays here the first two weeks, and so there's just more targets for him to throw to. Um, you know, I've been a little bit surprised that that the offense hasn't really been negatively affected by all the injuries on the offensive line. Um, you know, losing Trent Brown, Samuel, and Richie and for them to be able to put up 34 points back to back weeks. I mean, that's that's pretty impressive.
1: Now, sticking with Derek Carr, and I'm going to attach this to John Gruden, John Gruden made a comment in the postgame. And he talked about the narrative that, you know, him and Carr don't get along. Carr is not really his guy coming in. So, um, just really quick, sometimes you can spot an awkward couple out in public. When you see Gruden and Carr interact at practices, do, do you sense that it's awkward, or do you sense that they just they just don't mesh at all?
0: No, not really. I think that's stuff's kind of um, I don't want to say it's made up. I'm being sure there's some you know some reason behind it, but I think people you know just because they hate Derek Carr, they put a lot of like negative things <laughs> on him that don't really exist within the franchise. I mean. You know they signed Marcus Mariota. I know he made you know, he's making a lot of money, but he was never a threat at any point to Derek Carr and his starting job. You know, he heard that all offseason, and then you know, it was clear that wasn't the case. And it was, you know, oh, he's just going to dink and dunk all year. You know, he's not going to push the field. You know, if he doesn't throw the ball deep on every possession, he's just being overly conservative and holding the offense back. And so I think a lot of that is just, you know, for whatever reason, those who decided that they don't want their car on the team anymore, just kind of fueling that flame. But I don't, I don't think there's anything legitimate, uh, you know, within the franchise, either from a a player or a coach's perspective at this point.
2: Deshaun, you you touched on some of the injuries to the offensive line and how you were surprised that the Raiders were able to have so much success with all those injuries. I want to continue down that line for just a moment. We knew the offensive line would be the strength of a team, but I think many are surprised to see the group holding up so well despite all those injuries. They were out, Trent Brown and Sam Young last night, Incognito. Uh, gave it a go, but he was a- unable to finish the game. Rookie John Simpson stepped in and did a-, a nice job for him. These patches are holding up for at the moment, but but are you concerned about having to play guys like Good and Simpson in more of a long-term role? And, and the second part of this question is, do you have an update on uh, the injury to Incognito?
0: Yeah, I'll start with incognito. I don't have an update, but the the Achilles injury, that was something that the last two weeks have kept him out of, I believe, three practices. Um, You know, he, he, uh, you know, on the play that, the last play that he played before he got hurt, it didn't look like he, like, noticeably tweaked it. So maybe it's just discomfort. Maybe they're being, you know, precautionary with it. Um, I don't think it's, you know, the the way that he reacted after the play, I don't think it's a torn or Achilles or anything of that nature, but it may just be, you know, being precautionary. Obviously, with that injury, you can't, you know, play around with that. Um, but, I mean, as far as, you know, for the, the offensive line as a whole, obviously, yes, they would love to get Brown and Young and Incognito and, and back. Um, and you, you would think traditionally that it was rare on a team at some point to be without those guys, and it may, but... I think going one a fence defense, I mean, that's one of the best defenses in the league. Um, it's arguably, like, the best defense that they're going play to this, play this year. I know they had a rough first quarter giving up three sacks, but they didn't give up a sack for the rest of the game. Um, they had a pretty decent amount of success in the run game. I think Josh Dickens had 88 yards. Um, he didn't have a, a, a great, you know, yardage uh, average per you know, carry, but just his totals were there, and obviously Richard had the nice touchdown. Um, and so – you know, it's kind of traditionalism. You, you would think it, they'll struggle at some point, but I don't know if they will, you know what I mean? Uh, you know, Denzel good. Uh, I know he didn't practice at right tackle at all in training camp, but he did play tackle before with the Colts. Um, so it's not something he's completely unfamiliar with. And he's just a really good lineman. And then typically, uh, you know, those guys tend to be interchangeable. Uh, Offensive of line, coach Tom Cable, he teaches the guys to be interchangeable, even if they, they don't necessarily line up at that position. Um, and so, yeah, I think with with, um, with the rookie John Simpson, I was a little bit, I didn't know if he would be ready right away. Um, but I mean, the way he performed, I mean, I don't, I don't know why he you know, wouldn't be able to at least be solid moving forward. I didn't notice, you know, rewatching the game, I didn't see any glaring errors from him. I think he played, you know, almost 60 sacks or more than, or snaps, more than, more than 60 snaps. And so um, I think the, the offensive line is good enough, um, you know, as long as, as Rodney Hudson, I think he's kind of the blue that keeps it all together. Um, as long as he and, you know, they don't lose, you know, another starter or something crazy like that, um, I think they'll be all right. You know, obviously they they won't reach their match, max potential with all these injuries, but I don't think it's going to be a situation where the offensive line just, just falls apart.
1: Sticking with that offensive line, and I don't expect you to delve into injuries. I know you said if you had the update, you would tweet this, but I'd be remiss if I didn't address the 6'8", 380-pound elephant in the room. Trent Brown um Vincent Bonteo of the Las Vegas Review Journal said that there's some frustration within the organization with Trent Brown now again I don't expect you to go into his injury situation but did you sense there this there's frustration with him just not being available being that he was absent for much of training camp and then came out early in the first game or is there a frustration with him maybe something he's not doing maybe there's something they want him to push hard to play I know uh, you weren't covering the Raiders last year, but Colton Miller had a sprained MCL, and he played throughout the throughout the entire year with that injury. I believe he aggravated it uh during the season. Now Trent Brown has been out. He missed five games last year. Now again, do you sense that there's just frustration with him not being available or just him not being not playing or being out there on the field.
0: Yeah, I think uh um, my lead partner he's reported that you know some of that somewhere similar... You know, there's frustration within the franchise uh, with him not being out there. You know, I'm not sure, sure if his frustration with him specifically or just at the situation as a whole um, and kind of wondering, you know, could this have been avoided with maybe some some more diligent work in the offseason? Uh, I talked to for a story earlier um, this summer, and, um, you know, he spoke about the injury last season. And he said it was a situation where, um, you know, if the playoffs were realistic, you know, for the Raiders, he could have pushed through. Now that was kinda of interesting because it was like at the point that he got injured, it, it was super new, you know, it was possible. <laughs> it wasn't, you know, <laughs> they could have made the playoffs, but it wasn't out of the picture. Um and so I, I see why, you know, between that and maybe some of the stuff this season, I can I can see that this might put together a theory, uh, maybe you know, he has his money, he doesn't want to play, but I don't think it's a circumstance of that. Um I think he worked really good generally this off season. Um, you know, to stay in shape and get stronger coming off the injury. I don't think it was a, a situation where he slacked off and wasn't prepared going into a training camp. I just think this is one of those injuries that um, is really hard to you know if the MRI is clean and you diagnose it, it doesn't sound that serious. But nobody can really tell besides the person, right? You know, you, you're not inside their body at the end of the day. And you know, I think we kind of saw a similar situation um, last year with the Kevin Durant. It was a different sport, but he had that calf injury, and there was reports of frustration with the Warriors about him not coming back and all this and people are calling him soft and then he comes back and he pops the Achilles so you want that to happen or do you want him to miss a couple of games at the start of the season you know and so uh, you know, I get why people are eager but I just, I just I think people can be a little more patient with the situation because I would you know, I think we would rather him miss a few games here than miss the entire season if he comes back and has a more serious injury
2: Tashawn Reed beat writer for The Athletic thank you so much for uh, giving us some of your time tonight we, we appreciate it uh, keep up the good work as always
0: my friend No problem, man. Appreciate
2: y'all having me on. Great spot there by Tashawn Reed. I want to thank him again for joining us. Mo, before we say goodbye this week, I would like to just kind of take a look at the upcoming game this week. It's early in the week, but it's going to be a short turnaround for the Raiders playing on Monday night. Uh, They're traveling across country to take on the New England Patriots. They are playing a lot better than a lot of people expected, especially Cam Newton. He's balling right now. He looks healthy. He looks motivated. What are your thoughts on the matchup with the Patriots?
1: This is going to be a very different matchup for the Raiders because Cam Newton has shown that he's healthy enough to run the ball. He's probably the Patriots' best running back right now, even though he's playing quarterback. Uh, 122 rushing yards, four touchdowns on the season already. Teddy Bridgewater is mobile in the pocket, but he's not a runner like Cam. Drew Brees is basically a statue now, 41 years old. Cam Newton is healthy, and he's playing well, so the Raiders cannot take him lightly, even though he's only spent two, three weeks in the system. I think the Patriots and the Raiders are going to have a great game. Really quick note, these are the two least penalized teams in the league. I know that's a shocker to a lot of Raiders fans because Raiders fans are used to seeing the, the yellow laundry out in the field. But the Raiders have played some disciplined football, and kudos to the coaching staff for that. The Patriots are always a disciplined team. So you wonder how the, how the Raiders are going to play coming off an exciting win going east against the Patriots team. Cam Newton has something to prove. Signed late with the Patriots, had, had a bargain bin deal. I think it's going to be a a pretty good game. Patriots defense is also still solid, and Derek Carr is playing well. So I think this matchup is going to be one to see in the early slot for Sunday.
2: Yeah, and, and the Raiders, you talked about that Patriots defense. The Raiders have to be going into this game with a lot of confidence based on what they just were able to do against another pretty good defense in the Saints. And when we when I looked at the schedule just a few weeks ago and I'm trying to figure out, you know, what I think the the Raiders record would be, this was a game that I wasn't, you know, I wasn't that worried about, or I should say prior to Cam Newton signing with the with the Patriots, this was a game that I had kind of chalked up for a W. Now that Cam Newton's in town and, and playing so well, I'm not so sure that that this is an automatic win, uh, like I, like I thought it was. And, and one thing I, I do want to point out real quick: I did see on on Twitter today that Bill Belichick was talking up Darren Waller and, and uh, saying that you know that you don't see too many guys like him. Belichick has been known to try to take away and, and, and erase uh, the opposing team's top player. That's been a trademark for him. Uh, will he be able to do that against a guy like Darren Waller? What do you think?
1: I think he's going to definitely try. I think that was a tip of the hat. I know the Patriots don't tell their secrets, but as you mentioned, Belichick is very good at taking away a team's best weapon. Now, the thing is, are they going to focus on Darren Waller or are they going to focus more on Josh Jacobs running the ball? Uh, Those are the two Raiders' best offensive playmakers. But as we saw on Monday, Carr can spread the ball. So, guys, and we talked about it, guys like Brian Edwards, Zay Jones, Nelson Aguilar. Maybe the Raiders go with two tight end sets and get Foster Moreau and Jason Wynn on the field more. If they want to expose the middle of the field, the Patriots lost four linebackers this offseason. Uh they're uh either via free agency or just not not bring the guy back by a trade. That that linebacker court looks very different. Also, uh Dante Hightower opted out for COVID nineteen concerns. So I think the Raiders should focus on exposing the intermediate pass coverage. Get, get those two tight end, three tight end sets out there, and even if they take away Waller, you can go to Foster Moreau or Jason Witten to expose the middle of the field.
2: We'll just have to wait and see what Belichick does decide to do against Waller, but one thing's for sure, there are definitely more weapons available for Derek Carr and that offense. Alright, uh, that is going to do it for this week's edition of Just Pod Baby, the recap episode. I want to thank everyone for tuning in. I want to thank our guest this week, Sean Reed, You will hear from me in a couple days with my preview episode of the Week 3 matchup versus the New England Patriots. For my co-host, Maurice Mo Moten, I am your host, Evan Grote. And as always,
1: just win, baby.